and welcome to the Basement Astrologers, coming to you live from the middle of the Middle West here in St. Paul, Minnesota. We're reaching you at 6.54 Central Time on April 20th, 2018. We're in the basement, myself and Meredith. Today, I'm going to read Meredith's chart. We're going to go full circle and get to know one another. Anything uh, you want to add before we begin, Meredith? Actually, I do. So, you are the first male that is reading my chart ever. I was trying to think back of how many readings I've had um, before and after I've started studying astrology, and all have been women, and I think I've had four women read my chart before, and all of the modern tradition. So this is uh, a new. This is going to be a new experience for me. Well, uh, let's hope that my slow food movement astrology and my penis don't get in the way. <laughs> <laughs> of a very solid astrological reading. See what happens. All right, let's do this. So, since we're doing just a mini reading, I'm going to do the rising sign, the moon, and the sun. Uh, and as we will see with Meredith's chart, uh, the rising sign and the moon are going to get short shrift because we are going to jump in for the vast majority of this reading into a really interesting eighth house, fourth house uh, trine. So, Meredith, you have a Gemini ascendant. I do, as, as do you. That's right. Um, now, the first thing I do when I look at someone's ascendant is I look at the condition of the ascendant's ruler. And in Gemini's case, that's Mercury. Uh-huh. You have Mercury in the eighth house in Capricorn. And Mercury is uh, under the beams of the sun. It's four degrees away from the sun, which tells me two things. One, um, you likely have a pretty distinct uh, bone structure um, because you have Mercury and Capricorn, and uh, and that's true. Uh, you have prominent cheekbones. You have a very. Uh, I was just going to ask how how do you determine if I have a what kind of bone structure I have? Uh, by looking at your face. <laughs> oh, like okay, so not X-rays or anything, like nope, just facial nope. features um, and just kind of general appearance. Okay. Um, and, and it's an assumption, and with modern American diets, sometimes some of those assumptions don't come through as clearly. Um, well, I've never broken a bone. Wow, that would make in sense. In my life, and I'm, you know, almost 40, so that's pretty... I've never had a cavity, because I think it's teeth as well. Yeah. Um, and I know Capricorn is supposed to rule the skeletal structure, mm -hmm. teeth, um, yep. knees, I've heard, <laughs> maybe. Um, I'm not sure about the knees, but that's... Okay, right, let's, let's keep going. So... Um, generally also with that placement, um, you know, the eighth house, uh, is a cadent house. It's, um, it's not a particularly strong house. Um, and, uh, you have the sun or your mission or your Dharma or how you shine kind of overwhelming that, uh, that Mercury in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, if, if we were just sitting down, what I would probably say as I first initially look at this chart is, you know, you are a Gemini rising. So that means communication. That means uh, loving to consume and chat about data, just information. Um, but where that, um, that Mercury is in particular, I would think that you were a little bit more serious and serious a little bit more about yourself, about where you're headed in life and about how um, conditions surrounding you um, play out in a way that allow you to um, 
to guide yourself through life. Uh, in other words, when, when you enter a situation uh, based on that Mercury being in Capricorn, being close to the sun, I think people might um, might interact with you in a way and come away with the, uh, the feeling that you're kind of a driven person, that you've got a place to go, that, uh, that you are organized and have things together, um, and that you process information for a purpose, and that purpose has a lot to do with, um, with you getting where you're headed. Uh, are you saying this more because of the Capricorn vibe or the eighth house vibe or a combination thereof? And the, uh, the conjunction with the sun. Okay. Um, no, I'm just curious because in all of the systems I have learned thus far, uh, house systems, I should say, I'm a ninth house son. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, we'll definitely get to the eighth house. Um, I think the real difference here is that, um, you know, in more of a traditional system, when we look at those planets specifically, as opposed to where they are in a house or in a sign, um, we tend to... Uh, discuss those planets is actually symbolizing life events. So the next place I would go with that eighth house um, Mercury ruling your first is we would talk a little bit about um, inheritance or other people's money or the um, everything that has to do with death. So what I would say is as we reflect upon that organized, driven um, Gemini, I would also say that uh, chances are um, there's some kind of a distinct familial heritage that comes along with how you present yourself. It wouldn't surprise me to find out that um, that uh, either um, you uh, maybe early in life um, were a representative of your family, maybe you stuck out in the community based on your family's uh, resources or um, or just generally your family had a kind of a pronounced um, organizational or intellectual background and that reflected on you and it was one of the ways in which you conducted yourself and one of the ways you have guided your ship going through life does that ring a bell at all um you know unconsciously that makes sense uh you know I grew up uh, my parents were on the wealthy side, and we had to be well-behaved, and there was a certain... I mean, I was a Capricorn kid. I was pretty well-behaved. I'm like, what are the rules? I'm going to follow them. But, yeah, what you are saying does resonate with me a little bit. I was insanely shy, so I don't think I was a spokesperson, but I was the oldest kid, so you're always, you know, kind of a beacon. <laughs> um, you're representative of the of the kids, you know, because you're the oldest kid, too. Leading by example. Yes. Um, so I think that's uh, that's kind of where your ascendant is. Uh, got all that curiosity, got the communication, um, a little bit of youthfulness, and there's just a little bit more seriousness, a little bit more drive that comes along with that, um, that Gemini ascendant, having to, and that has to do with where the ruler of that ascendant and its placement. So have you heard um, anyone say that the Capricorns are kind of the Benjamin Buttons of the universe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we were kind of born old, and which I think is so, that totally resonates with me. I mean, I feel very Aquarian too, but I feel like I was born old. And the older I get, the younger I feel. And you've been to my house now. You see Michael Jackson posters on the wall and <laughs> Star Wars posters. I mean, I'm just uh, a kid more at heart. And now what I take seriously is not 
taking life so seriously. But that was not the case when I was a child. <laughs> like everything was serious. My whole body hurt. Like it aches and pains at five, what I'm <laughs> supposed to have at 85. And I feel kind of younger. And my Gemini ascendant kind of feeds that, I think. Well, two things there. Um, when I, Whenever I see the moon in Gemini, I always say it's a Peter Pan moon. Um, kind of in a, the the moon of eternal youth. But also, a lot of what you're describing has a lot to do with Saturn. I feel like once uh, people figure out the parameters provided to them by their Saturn and how to live, um, you know, and along with Saturn, as opposed to fighting against Saturn, you life becomes a lot easier. And uh, for people who have a lot of Saturn, it can almost feel like, uh, you know, their, their yoke has been cast off. And what we're going to see later on is that your chart has a lot of Saturn. Yeah, I, I want to, I'm so curious on what you're going to say, because I consider myself friends with Saturn since I'm a Capricorn. Um, so, all right, let's let's keep going. What else you got? So, let's go to your moon. Okay. Uh, and I think this is really where your chart gets interesting, um, because you have a, a fiery Sagittarius moon, and it's in your seventh house of relationships. And it's square almost exactly, well, it's, it's, uh, it is in it's trapped in a square between Jupiter and uh, Mars. So your your moon is at thirteen Sagittarius, and your um, your Jupiter is at nine um, Virgo, Virgo, yeah. and and your Mars is at fifteen Virgo. Yep. So what that tells me is um, with the moon generally in Sagittarius, um, and in the seventh house is that uh, you get a lot of um, emotional resonance, a lot of um, internal support from relationships, from how you relate to other people. The moon also tells us a little bit about um, the conditions of the native at birth. And when I see that moon in the seventh house, it tells me that, um, and I see it square both um, the greater benefic and the lesser malefic, um, I see a combination of struggle, but also of context. And so at the time of birth, um, you, you were at a place of, of relating to um, kind of a higher philosophy of a search for truth. It tells me that um, your mom might have been um, religious or maybe a college professor. Um, knowing that you're from Hibbing, Minnesota, that tells me that maybe she was involved with their church, uh, as opposed to if you're from New York, maybe she uh, was a professor at Cornell. Um, and, and when I see that square below, um, it kind of tells me that in that fourth house of hearth and home, um, there might have been um, the idea of context being brought to the family setting, but also some conflict. Um, you being brought into the family where there was a higher ideal uh, might have taken place at a time where there was, was some kind of a a gentle struggle within that home place. And I think that, that that moon squaring those two planets, knowing that there's that um, oftentimes considered positive reception with that Jupiter and also that challenge with that Mars, I'm thinking that um, that you going through relationships were struggling with that, um, that roots, that place you come from, and that was uh, in some ways opposed to kind of a, a pleasant, optimistic Sagittarian inner life. Yes, I would say that's pretty accurate. I mean, you know now I was born into a uh, Catholic religious family, which never vibed with me. 
from probably the day I was born, but I mean, the earliest memory I have was probably four or five. Um, and I wasn't a rebellious kid. Um, I was maybe, I think of the moon scoring Mars, I just was pretty angry about it, but just, you know, kind of stuffed it into what you would say is the fourth house. Um, yeah, I didn't have outbursts. I wanted to know the whys of everything. That's the Gemini, Gemini and Mercury in me. Like, just why do you believe this? I wanted to know not just of Catholicism, but of everything on the planet. And my in my little small town Minnesota bubble, there wasn't much. And that was way before the internet. You know, like now it's fantastic. But yeah, that is um, accurate for sure. And so um, there was kind of a struggle between where you come from and how you kind of wanted to, or, or wanted to feel comfortable relating to the world. And that provided context and kind of a story for you as you grew. Yes, I felt, um, I mean, very Capricorn kid alone in the universe. Uh, you know, you know, miserable childhood. <laughs> miserable Capricorn kid, that was me. We're going to get to that, that loaded eighth house in a second. Okay. Uh, one other thing I'd say about seeing that moon is that it's a balsamic moon meaning that it's in the last quarter before a new moon and uh and but and it's in that seventh house of relationships in optimistic sagittarius which tells me that you may have had some relationships um you know the moon can mean um lots of relationships here the moon is not the sect light um, the moon uh, is, what is that? The sec light is, uh, so if, if the sun were below the horizon, uh-huh. then the moon may be even more prominent in the chart than the sun. Oh, the sect. The sect. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So here the moon is really, truly a reflection. It's really reflected light. Um, and it's balsamic. It's, it's a little older. It's a little wiser. So I can see how in relationships, in that process of struggling away from where you come from, from that, uh, that, that fourth house of, of, uh, of, of your roots um, and, and building that context where Jupiter is telling the story. Um, I'm, I'm seeing you um, in these relationships and I'm seeing you be kind of the older, wiser, more philosophical person, um, maybe even a mother figure in some relationships. Um, and I, I see that square. I see that causing conflict. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, with, with where that moon is, um, but also that moon is the most optimistic, bright, shining spot in your chart. And, and it comes in conflict with where you come from. So the idea of being in, in relationships, maybe even outside of marriage, discussing that Catholic background, it might have caused conflict maybe in your inside and in drafting your story, but certainly in that place where you come from. You mean conflict uh, with my partner and the relationship? I think it, I would say in life in general, in crafting your story for yourself. I mean, you see that packed fourth house, you see those, those roots, uh, that place you come from, you see Saturn there, which is tradition, which is boundaries. Um, I would guess that it took time for you to figure out how you exist in relationships. But with that moon in the seventh house, that tells me there were probably, if not lots of relationships, probably um, a, re- a lot of at least a relationship. So in other words, instead of having lots of little ones, there's probably maybe one or two that last a long time. That's very true. Um, and it's now I can say the struggle is a lot better <laughs> or easier than it used to be. But I have struggled with my upbringing my whole life. Um, and yeah, my boyfriend's got an earful. I started dating my first boyfriend at age 15. 
and we dated till 20. So that is a very significant relationship when you're that young, you know, high school, college boyfriend. Yeah. And then I'm married now, um, and I've been with my husband approximately five years. Um, before him, I had another, I had two very long-term relationships. My, even, I'm counting my high school one, which is five years, which is still a long time for anyone, I think. Yeah. And then I had another really long one. Um, but they didn't cause conflict. My upbringing didn't cause conflict in my relationships. Um, I was kind of, I think, purging a lot of stuff that I was bottling in as a child with my significant others. Um, but they've all, for the most part, been great. And I've actually, funny you are bringing this up because one of my readings I got, you know, uh, and this was after I had started studying astrology. The astrologer was like, uh, relationships, uh, <laughs> you know, look at my chart, like, okay, how are they for you? Um, they've been great, but the moon, I think, is so powerful in the seventh house for me. Like, I feel so not so alone in the universe when I'm in a relationship. Um, and that's what I see with the seventh house moon. Like, I just feel more comfortable when I'm in one. Um, I'm not one to stay in one if it's not going well. It's just, I just feel not so. So this is a great example of where um, some of those personality or psychological astrology kind of comes head to head with more of a traditional or Hellenistic version. So you see the seventh, you see that moon in the seventh house and you see those squares and you say, um, lots of relationships and you see maybe some, some rocky relationships, maybe some relationships that caused growth that, um, allowed you to tell the story of where you come from. And we hear a lot of those themes now in the Hellenistic tradition, we might say, or the traditional tradition, we'd say, you got that moon in the seventh house you're going to have a lot of relationships. You're going to be in relationship with other people. And then from the psychological tradition, we might say, you see that moon in the seventh house, you feel fulfilled and whole in a relationship. So of course, someone who felt fulfilled and whole in a relationship is going to seek them out and be in relationships. So for me, those two things work together. Okay. You have one saying, you're going to be in relationships. Um, and then you have another saying, well, you, you feel more um, connected and more whole as a person if you're in a relationship. So that tells me, also, you're going to be in relationships. Does the Sagittarius throw you off, though? Because Sagittarians want to be independent and, you know, um, not that they're, they want, they're free. Like, I need, you know, I need freedom in my relationship. I can't be, you know, kind of, did, did that throw you off at all? I'm just curious, and as you read my chart, you're just looking at no, straight moon. No, and um, another reason why it didn't was, we're going to see a lot of Earth after this and a lot of grounded Earth with a lot of Saturn reception. And so that Sagittarius, for me, is really optimistic, really outgoing. And you are not looking at Neptune at all because I have a moon-Neptune conjunction. So You do. Uh, well, it's seven degrees. But what yeah. I would say even – I don't really bring up the outer planets in initial reading, and, and that is not a tight enough conjunction for what? me to, to address it. In, what, do you, mean, what do you use for orbs? Um, for the outer planets um, – Oh, you, you – differentiate yep oh uh it would have to be like within three or four degrees for me to necessarily bring it up um and, and the... with the with the inner planets which is where i would my, my initial astrology reading i would only really ever bring up the seven traditional no i planets. know you do so what's your orb um well then i would do even a whole sign so here what we're going to get into this eighth fourth house um trine and i would say um you have a whole sign trine between Jupiter and the sun, which is your sectolite, and Mercury. Now, it's it's definitely, you know, 9 degrees all the way up to 23 degrees, um, 
you know, we're not within even 10, um, I suppose with your Mercury within 10. So it's, it could be a really wide orb, but I would definitely acknowledge just the general relationship just because they're both in a, in trine whole sign. Okay, question on that. So I have Jupiter at 9 degrees Virgo and Saturn at 26 degrees Virgo. You would consider that a conjunction? No, but no. I, I would get, what I would say is that's co-present. So definitely how your fourth house is expressing itself in a Virgoan way is influenced both by Jupiter and by Saturn. Okay, I... Um... Okay, let me just clarify my question. So orbs for conjunctions in the same sign, what would you, not taking into aspects, um, say it was unaspected, uh, both like planets. four or five degrees. Really, it's top of five degrees. Okay. But I, there is no accepted yeah, rule, you know, like I. And I don't really have one. You, you don't. You know, it has okay. a lot to do. So in this instance, you know, I think that, um, so you're six degrees away from your Jupiter and your Mars and it's in Virgo. Now, what I would say is that generally, I think uh, of Mars being pretty, pretty comfortable in Virgo. Really? Virgo's gonna Virgo's gonna keep Mars busy. I I always thought Mars was not happy in Virgo. That's interesting. Because um, <laughs> Virgo, first of all, Mars, Mars doesn't want to be in service. Well, I mean, maybe taking well, orders. Lots of soldiers, and stuff. sure. Yeah. Uh, and Virgo, you know. Mer- yeah, uh, Virgo will keep Mars busy, that's for it's sure. It's a different expression of Mars, oh, that's for yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, no question. Yeah. And, but Mars is just about to go into Libra, where Mars does not like to be at all. Um, <laughs> and I think for sure Jupiter isn't particularly happy in Virgo. Um, but oh, Jupiter's happy everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Santa Claus doesn't want to be putting together arts and crafts projects, Aww. then shoving them into his bag, and then bringing it down under the tree. Um, so, yeah, um, I generally stick to kind of, you know, a general five degree arc, but that that's not, I, I also really think that there's a lot of benefit just to general reception. Oh, so you synthesize the whole chart besides making rules of orbs and conjunctions and okay, you, you take That's a whole, better way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Got I, it. I think that, I just want to understand uh, how you, because we read them so differently. And you, you have, you're a system person. You're a Virgo. I know you're a Mercury person, so you have a system, and I'm just trying to figure out your system. Um, yeah, you know, what I like to do is I like to follow the general rules uh, laid down with traditional Hellenistic astrology, but I like to apply things that make sense and that work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I like to use the tools, but then, um, you know, as you apply them and as you learn more, um, you you need to focus on where the general, where the chart is expressing itself generally, and uh, and make sure you're not skipping that because because you're off by one degree. Right. Um, okay, so let's go to the sun. Okay. Now the sun in here is your sect light. The sun is above the horizon at the time of your birth. The sun's in the eighth house in Capricorn. So the sun is um, it's your dharma. It's uh, your path in life. Um, the other way I like to talk about the sun is the sun is how you shine. And by that, I mean, when you're doing your sun stuff, you are shining. You're providing light. You're doing the thing you were brought here to do. I agree 1000% with that statement. Awesome. Um, here we have the sun in Capricorn, in um, the sea goat, the sign of tradition, of history. Of, of taking the stuff you have and putting it to work for you. Now we have Saturn 
in uh, a three degree trine uh, with your sun and Saturn is in Virgo, where I think again of Saturn as being pretty comfortable. Um, Virgo likes rules. Virgo oh, likes sure. systems, um, stuff to work with, yep. and Saturn loves to provide them. And you're you're in a really trite, tight um, trine. And the thing I think that's most interesting about this is that you also have the Mercury um, Sun conjunction in Capricorn. So there's mutual reception between your Saturn, which is in Mercury sign. And your son, which is in Capricorn sign, and uh, and they're they're providing each other beneficial energy. Now, what I find really fascinating about this is that you have Saturn and Mars, both um, both tr- what we would traditionally call the malefics, uh, in your fourth house or your internal life or where you come from. So what that tells me is is that you came from a place. We I think we talked about this a little before from a lot of structure, from rules from the past. Oh, yeah. And what I would say is that um, that this lent itself to Mars in a couple different ways. One, you had a path for doing hard work. Um, I can I can imagine a household that you were brought up in and the story you were told, that the way Jupiter brought context to this Mars, Saturn, your fourth house was, if you work hard and do these things a certain way, you're going to benefit. And it was expected that part of your story was to work hard. And I can imagine dutiful um, young Meredith uh, having the sun in uh, Capricorn and having that beneficial trine working hard, understanding that that's where the story takes her. Um, But I also can see that you have the sun and Mercury. So how you think your direction in life in the eighth house, the house of everything that has to do with death. Uh, And I don't mean that in a negative way. Oh, no. Um, I'm with you there. What I would put, um, how I like to talk about the eighth house, uh, besides kind of some more mundane things like um, potential inheritances or uh, other people's money. Uh, sometimes there are topics in a in a uh, chart where um, we can talk about us uh, the the potential uh, economic benefits of a partner. Um, well, eighth house is the dreaded house, and you know some schools have thought it's the occult, it's taboo, it's the unseen, it's death, it's um, scary <laughs> stuff. Sometimes I, I don't know about the tradition you you taught. Or, or. <laughs> well, uh, so um, I spent most of my time studying Hellenistic astrology. Right, and it's, so how, it's far harsher than most astrology. No, I, I want to know what's the Hellenistic view on the eighth house. Right. So. Um, is it still other? So the idea people? of having everything that to deal with death is not a not a warm and fuzzy uh, notion. Oh, we can talk about how, that. But yeah. how I like to think about it though is the house of samsara, or the house of the notion that life is suffering, and that everything we do is going to bring a certain amount of struggle and consequence, and that's brought on by the idea that we're plummeting towards death, and you can see how that idea, that idea of samsara leads itself to some of those ideas of other people's money. So sometimes we could talk about the eighth house as like being the house of insurance. Um, and obviously insurance makes sense because you buy it in case you die. So your benefactors can have right. some money. Yeah. Um, so what I see with that trine is that, um, that uh, as you developed, as you grew, that internal life was infested with the knowledge of the duration of life, of the idea that those structures had to do with other people. The idea that that there was a benefactor from the outside who was driving you in a singular direction. And I see this bright 
um, Meredith uh, with this kind of optimistic relating um, seventh house Sagittarian moon. And I see her struggling um, to make a complete story out of the idea that there's so much structure here. This story is making sense. Why does so much of it have to deal with the struggle in life? And eventually that Jupiter um, bringing those things together and making a story out of it, making building context, making an understanding that um, that struggle inherent with getting ahead, with shining, with understanding things is part of how we go through life. We work hard and we still have um, that struggle to deal with. But um, yeah, no, you're you're. You're nailing it, really. Um, I'm trying to verbalize it in a cohesive manner. I mean, I was raised as maybe not working hard, but like, of course, working hard, but go to college, get a good career. These are the careers you have to pick from that are quote unquote good, um, that will make you money. You get a 401k, you have babies, and then you can retire at age 65 with a nice sum in the bank. Um, That was what I was taught. Um, I didn't remember you saying that word taught to me, but I mean, is that what you meant by context? Kind of like, this is the story I was fed or, you know, I would even take that a step further and say that it, it was more like that was just how things are less than being taught. It was just the way things were going to be. Right. And then becoming so aware, being aware of death as a child, I wasn't afraid of it. I mean, Capricorn kids are kind of afraid of everything. You don't have to teach them fear. They're born afraid. And I've told Did you have black fingernail polish? No, but I wanted to. Um, (laughs) I really wanted to be goth. Yeah. um, So wanted to. But I was very aware of death and I wasn't afraid of it being a Capricorn, which is crazy because Capricorns, like I said, are afraid of everything. You don't need to teach a Capricorn kid to be afraid because they are afraid of something. Or they're very aware of the world. But my parents took separate airplane flights as when I was a kid. You know, like just being that fear of death being reiterated over and over. And even today when I tell my dad I'm going camping, he tells me all of the ticks that can kill me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I laugh about it now. But, you know, as a kid, like this, this vibration was kind of like ingrained in me. And it took, it's, I mean, has taken a long time to kind of purge and step back from it and become the observer and be like, okay, like I said, I'm not taking life so seriously anymore. But as a kid, oh man, I listened. Those are the rules. This is what happens. And I remember as a young girl, um, you know, this, I called her grandma, but she wasn't my grandma. She was down the street and she ended up passing away and people were laughing at her house, having cocktails and food. And I asked my mom, I said, people can laugh at a funeral you know like i i knew that was okay but i was not taught that was okay and it was i was i was i just struggled my whole childhood to make sense of things and be okay with what i was being taught yet not feeling what i was being taught constant struggle so uh now um we have that saturn in the fourth house and what we were talking about a little earlier is the idea that saturn is the boundary within which someone grows. And once Saturn's honored, once the Saturn work is in place, um, life kind of becomes easier. Now, when I see this trine between the eighth and the fourth house, between um, that internal life and the idea of samsara, what I see is I see someone who eventually gets really comfortable in shining where the veil is thin. Now, 
with someone that might be that person's an insurance adjuster or an actuary or maybe even a mortician. Not me. <laughs> but well, but here we have someone in your case who's an astrologer who deals with that area where the distance between the past and the future uh, is almost um, not an existent threshold. And you've talked about it, how um, you, d- you think time is all um, happening at the same time. I, I'm going to address Venus now with that this same in the same context. So we see someone who's grown up once Saturn's in place, once the context and the stories told, um, can shine in this area of life where um, where kind of the other is the topic. And then we look at Venus, and you have Venus and Aquarius, and Venus has no connection between your eighth house or your fourth house. There's no reception. Uh oh. I mean, it's in conjunct my Saturn. That's true. Okay. Almost exactly. I, I tend to not deal with in conjunctions. Okay. But, but I think that this idea of a lack of reception where the uh, fourth house can't see the ninth house works very similarly. Okay. They're kind of out of sync. They're, they're not communicating at the same time. Okay. When we talk about Venus, we talk about the idea of the stickiness, the yumminess, the goodness, where in that spot in your chart um, – there is uh, a pleasantness about it, kind of a romance, a place that you desire that thing. And I see Venus in your ninth house in Aquarius, and I see the desire for a bigger idea, for deeper study in those Aquarian outside-the-box topics. So here we see, as you grow up and get older, and you honor and uh, understand Saturn, where you are shining, where your your mind and your... Um, your dharma, your direction in life is put in place and is working along with your Saturn, with your Jupiter, your context, you're bringing things together in that area where the veil is thin, where we're talking about the other. And at the same time, we have Venus wanting to be in that land of higher ideas, of, of bigger understandings. And, uh, and it's in those Aquarian outside-the-box traditions. Similarly, I can see you going on like a long trip to Egypt and really getting into uh, like the monuments and the monoliths and such. Okay. So you see Venus in my ninth mm-hmm. house and you uh, – this is tough for me because I have my son in the ninth house. So um, what's the difference there of the higher ideals in your training um, of what I want to um, – desire or shine how do I shine is it by going to Egypt is that my son or is that my Venus like I'm struggling here as a baby astrologer of what house system to use and this is I think a big deal the differences here well using so um oh you never said my birthday or the house system or anything (laughs) let's backtrack a little bit um January 14th 1980 at 1 21 p.m in Hibbing Minnesota I missed the 70s by two weeks (laughs) Oh. <laughs> Bummer. I know. I love the 70s. You history. and Jimmy Carter. Um, so, again, January 14th, 1980, 1 p.m., Hibbing, Minnesota. So, what I would say is that um, here, um, having the sun in the eighth house, and let's just talk about Egypt. They okay. e- the Egyptians were obsessed with death. So, you know, you know like me the, already. I'm attracted to that yeah. history and culture. So. Yeah. So the idea, the example we just used, um, the idea of, of Venus, your place of desire and your ninth house of foreign travel, 
um, and then your sun shining and your your mind or your uh, your the way in which you process information being in the house of death and everything that has to do with death, and then putting that in Egypt. Um, I think you could kind of get there either way. In fact, I like the way the eighth house and the ninth house works. Um, okay. I guess I guess what I would say is that. I'm reading the chart the way I read the chart and I like whole sign houses. I don't, the, the notion of doing a compare and contrast between whole sign and porphyry, I think might be interesting maybe for our listeners, but I. That's our thing though. Like we come from two different schools of thought, um, but both are kind of working. Um, and I also look at my Sagittarius moon for the traveler as well. Um, I'm comfortable traveling. Traveling with a partner. Um, Ooh, yes, <laughs> yeah. very much so. Um, so, I I don't know. I think they. I think w- the way in which you describe the two houses, in which I describe the two houses, those energies work the same way. Um, okay, well, let's go back to my Venus. I was just trying sure. to throw a spoke on the wheel there. Okay. <laughs> so, I think that's what I really wanted to say about your Venus was the okay. idea of. Um, of being attracted to those greater ideas in uh, in those outside the box Aquarian topics, I could imagine you. Um, you well, you've told me you read channeled books. I think you t- said that during a podcast. I so, yeah, I picked those up in my twenties. Right. So seeing Venus in the ninth house of higher education in Aquarius, and then understanding that you're interested in kind of um, almost like the height of any kind of. Uh, of um alternative writing makes perfect sense i love weird shit like (laughs) that's how my venus translates literally so aquarius is kind of like it can be eccentric it can be weird and i venus is the planet of love i love it i love it all like you think it's crazy give me the book give me the website like i am attracted to that um that's how my venus plays out and i feel very Aquarian, but you know, as when I was about seven, my son progressed to Aquarius. So um, I just, I really love anything Aquarian. So where, um, where, so if, you, let's say we put that in your 10th house, like the, everything you described to me makes a lot of sense in the ninth house. Oh, as what I am attracted to? You're like attracted philosophy? to weird shit. Where and do you, you like put psychology? Books? Eighth or ninth? Or neither. I guess I'd put it in the ninth because it would be a higher uh, area of study. I put philosophy in the ninth. Yeah. And psychology in the eighth. Hmm, interesting. Um, and I don't know if there's a accepted mode of where it belongs, but psychology is kind of going to the hidden depths of the psyche. And philosophy is more ninth house, higher ideals. Like, oh, what if maybe that happens here? Um I've been somewhat comfortable. Well, you would put my midheaven where? In Pisces? My cusp of the 10th house? Your MC is in the, the ninth. Oh, you'll have to explain this to me with whole sign. I, I don't quite understand how they... So my, my MC point, where is it in whole sign? Well, so this is how I deal with the MC being in the ninth or th- and third and the IC in the third or the 11th and the fifth. I think of it as the tenth house still being your house of, um, of work, of the place where the sun is the highest in the sky, of where um, where one does their work outside, 
Um, this is a major I, difference. I just want to say to the listeners because I I'm still wrapping my brain around it. My tenth house cusp in your system is not my MC. No. So my MC is in the ninth house, which does resonate with me. Right. And so what I would say then is when when I see the MC off, uh, either in the ninth or mm-hmm. the eleventh house, and sometimes really wacky charts can have it like all the way. Over really, the top. I was going to ask you how far can it go? It it depends on, it, well, like porphyry does it based on the seasons and the yeah. length of light. Um, so like if you're way up in the Arctic, they Alaska can get really cattywampus. But what I'd say then is that then I'm less surprised or I think it makes more sense when someone says they have um, kind of a work-based or an employment topic that falls into that ninth house. And again, here we're, we're seeing um, ninth house, you, you like outside the box stuff. Oh yeah, mine is totally ninth house Right. Stuff. So, and then you see that you could work there and we know you're starting an astrology practice. And so it makes perfect sense. It does. Um, Yeah, I'm still, like, again, I'm a baby astrologer. I'm still wrapping my brain around the MC point not being the cusp of the 10th house because that is what I've been trained for. And I, you know, neuroplasticity here, have to kind of maybe adapt. Um, So you you think of it as that is the highest point the sun was in the sky in the day of your birth. Right. And in the Hellenistic tradition, is this the point of mastery or what do they call this point? Or is do they have a label for it? Or I mean, it's got to be important. It yeah. has to be. Um, but I think what you know what I'm not going to try to speak for all people oh, that's who okay. study Hellenistic astrology. That's always been my view. Is I deal with it as kind of an additional spot of the tenth house. It it means that maybe there's a little more flexibility in where where uh, the native could find a career. And similarly, if if you see that. MC fall right in the 10th, then it kind of solidifies the idea that that's really the place where where work's going to get done or where work should end up. And then one more Hellenistic question, since I'm not educated. Um, is this also your public image? Is it the MC or the 10th house in the Hellenistic tradition? Definitely the 10th house. It is. But, okay. But again, I don't I don't even want to. I don't want to try to speak for Hellenistic astrology, like written up in the sky. I really think of myself as someone who applies. No, you Hellenistic do. Your, I think you're wicked smart with it. Um, I again, I'm just asking baby questions. No, I don't I, know the answer. I don't want to come off as someone who's speaking for all of Hellenistic astrology. I don't think it's my place. I don't even think it's where I want to end up. I I I love the tools. It's where I come from. But um, you we're know. totally Gemini astrologers, constantly adapting and constantly changing. True, and I, I think um, we will be. I think I like to uh, add tools to my astrological kung fu, um, and I think that coming from the Hellenistic or traditional um, stance to begin with is always where I'm going to come from. But I think you know, as I learn and grow, there's going to be uh, moves and additions added and taken away. It's your roots. That's your fourth house Mercury, <laughs> Hellenistic and tradition. Sun. There you go. So. Um, do you have any questions about specific houses? I don't think so. I mean, I just want to point out the differences is the way I learned my chart was all this Virgo for me was in the fifth house. Um, I know I am a Sun-Mercury cusper for houses in the Placidus system on the edge of the eighth and ninth. And the eighth and ninth house both resonate with me for sure. Um, I've always struggled with where exactly my son and Mercury are. And you know, you're kind of your best teacher and student when you're learning astrology. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I love eighth house stuff. I always have, but I also love ninth house stuff. So I really like what you said. I think you were, you really nailed it. It was really good. That's great to hear. 
Let me, I'm going to pull up and see if I can find. So did you look at my element balance at all? You said something earlier about earth and you were going to go back to it. I just want to make sure you do it and make sure you, if you had a point that you wanted to talk about my earth energy or what, did I misunderstand? Um, I didn't, um, but I guess I think I addressed it all without talking about earth. And okay. it's this idea of that big, um, that big whole sign trine between your eighth and your fourth houses is in Virgo um, and Capricorn. Virgo being mutable earth, um, the sign of service, but um, also of um, of constant effort. Kind of if, if the earth signs had different um, characters, I'd say Virgo's clay and can get shaped into any kind of useful shape. Whereas when I think of Capricorn, I think more of um, bricks or cinder blocks they get to put into a harness shape to to put to use and I see both those things being a major influence on your chart so when I think of it I think of you being useful you <laughs> taking things that you can work with and use and applying them and figuring out how they fit best and I so I um, which I think is just a really fascinating um, juxtaposition with your moon which is in just optimistic um, I'm an optimistic pessimist. That's what I always <laughs> said because I got the Sag moon and the Capricorn sun. You know, we got the doom and gloom pe pessimist Capricorns and the optimistic Sagittarius. I have both. Um, I always think the worst is going to happen. <laughs> I always think that. But I'm like, oh, I'll be able to handle it. I'll be fine. Um, and that's my moon, I think, kicking in. Well, I also think I, I would almost imagine that you would get into relationship with someone and they think that you're this big, bright, optimistic individual um, who is, is kind of naturally fulfilled by being in relation to someone else. Until I get drunk for the first time. And then time. 20 <laughs> minutes into it, um, you know, you're describing how, um, you know, the man is keeping us down. Uh, it's not that for me. It's my apocalypse plan. Oh, so this might be, yeah. Wow. So this might be eighth house stuff. All I, you know, even my husband and I have talked embarrassingly too much about this, but uh, having an apocalypse plan and being as useful as I can be when and if that ever happens. Like, I think that's eighth house stuff. So that's where I'm going to give you, I don't know if my son and Mercury is in there, but whoa, it's I am super like. Super Virgo well, stuff too. So when you see yeah. that, uh, that again, that trine, that natural trine between, and that the mutual reception between Mercury conjunct your son in Capricorn and then. Yeah. Saturn. And then square my moon. I mean, just massive anxiety my whole life like <laughs> not about the apocalypse but just about everything um that can go wrong and my moon's trying to scream no it's gonna be fine everything's gonna be fine um so yeah that's kind of how it played out too and then gemini ascendant squirrel so, <laughs> constantly distracted which is probably well, you'll good. be collecting data the whole time <laughs> yes i do and relating it think of how much fun trivia will be in the bunker Oh, yep. I have all my boxes of Star Wars trivia that I'm going to bring down there. I have I have a whole plan. So I don't feel very Virgo-like at all. Like, you see my house is kind of a disaster. Um, I'm not super perfectionist. I do not feel like I'm a perfectionist, um, except with my apocalypse plan. That thing is perfect. It cannot go wrong. <laughs> I, like, got it down to the T. So I think this is where you maybe would jump in with the fourth, eighth, 
eighth house. Well, do you do you feel like, especially when you were younger, as that Saturn grew older, maybe for the first good chunk of your life, that you spent a lot of time getting your in, interior life squared away, that you invested mind and maybe even some health getting how you feel your emotional well-being the stuff that goes on inside figured out and put in place oh yeah I mean I'm still going through that I think we all are um I am so much better than I was 10 years ago 15 even one year ago um things happen daily and I refer to myself as the old Meredith the old (laughs) Meredith would have freaked the f out when that happened and now um, I think you mentioned very early in this um, recording about you said a Buddhist term that oh suffering. Mm-hmm. So I was never aware of suffering until I read about it in my first Buddhist text, and I wish I could remember what it was. But I almost threw the book across the room because I didn't believe that life was suffering, and it took me a while to incorporate that. I'm like, oh my gosh, it is. I have suffered <laughs> since the day I was born. This is my body hurting when I was five. Um, my massive anxiety just flaring up upon waking up in the morning and as I get older um I guess I I've I always felt like I was friends with Saturn but looking back I probably wasn't um kind of incorporating and making friends with Saturn and um also having the the dry humor of Saturn like life is serious but not so serious that you need to actually harm your own body yeah well, let's, which let's, is what anxiety does well, let's talk about that with your fourth house Let's okay. talk about eating. Eating? Yeah. Did you? Is there stuff that didn't agree with you when you were younger? No. Uh, uh, what about spicy food? <laughs> well, I grew up in small town Minnesota where they think ketchup is spicy. So I didn't eat spicy food until I was older. But I have studied, or not studied, but I went to an Ayurvedic prote- practitioner. And I actually can eat whatever I want for the most part. Um, and not have any ill effects. I was a little chubbier as a kid when I turned 30. So right after my Saturn return, I lost a lot of weight. Um, and I've kept it off until the last couple of years. It's coming back. Um, but food, I love food. Um, I've never really had a problem with food, I guess. Well, see, this is very interesting to me because if I looked at someone's chart and I knew that they were a female and that they were um, had that – Virgo fourth house and I saw that they had Saturn and Mars co-present in there and even with that healthy relationship with the sun I would think well that's a possible eating disorder or it's weird so I went to a spiritual healer once and she asked me that and I I don't I mean as a female growing up in the society yeah there's a little bit of that with every female I think um but my Virgo with that shows up as when I lose weight it's science, like calories in, calories out. If I told you I was going to lose five pounds right now, I could tell you the date um, I would get there. It's all numbers. It's all math. It's all Virgo stuff. Um, very much so. Also very Capricorn. But what I would say is that then I see that you have Jupiter in there, which allows the idea of the story being told. So, so yeah, there's some struggle there. There's some inner conflict. But Jupiter allows there to be context. Okay. So, yeah, I feel bad about myself or, yeah, this is the part of my life where I'm noticing that I'm different from someone else, but it all makes sense. I can put this all into a story. I can make sense of it. Yeah, no, I I can never say I never had um, a pronounced eating disorder. I I haven't missed a meal (laughs) 
<laughs> unless I was sick or something in the last 38 years. So maybe that's <laughs> Jupiter in your fourth house over there. But uh, no, after my Saturn return, my weight did change. So Saturn is involved for sure. Um, Saturn return must have kickstarted it because I mean, I guess I was a little a year or two after it, but I got my ass in gear. I lost 35 pounds and I was like, I'm done because I saw the road that I was going on. Um, so maybe it's a reverse eating. Uh, not, it's not a disorder. I think I just, I'm very aware. Virgo is the health sign. I was very aware. Like if I keep eating my chips and my pizza, which I still love, <laughs> um, this is going to really affect my health. So I took control of that, which is Saturn. Yeah. Super Saturnian. And then again, we get, you know, the sun is shining and in Saturn sign too. Um, what, so did you have a different, what, how did your Saturn return work with your relationship with your parents and kind of um, your, did, did you feel more of like a complete inner life at that Saturn return point? Did you maybe even come to grips with your parents' place in your life at that point? I did not, but I will tell you a Saturn return story and I want you to tie this to my chart. And I have not shared this with many people, oh. um, but my Saturn return, I think I was um, 29 and a half or something, but about a year earlier, people started dying in my life. But also Pluto was moving to my eighth house. So I don't know. There's a lot of combination of things. I mean, I bought my first house. I got my first pets. I was responsible for other <laughs> keeping other things alive. Um, but one of my best friends, unfortunately, passed away at age 28. And um, I struggled with what I was taught to believe about death and what I've always felt about it. And three days after, or four days, something like that, after he passed away, he came to me in a dream. And um, he passed away from cancer. So he was very ill. He's very, you know, just grotesquely thin. Um, I was kind of delusional, not seeing it coming. I was like, oh, he's going to be fine. You just get in this weird mindset. He came to me in a dream. And since that dream, everything has changed in my life. Um, like I knew it was him. It wasn't me. This is what I believe. Of course, listeners might feel differently, but I've had dreams of people passing away and my brain is making up <laughs> things about them. But this was him. He was healthy. He was radiant. I was like a puppy dog. Have you ever had a puppy that just can't calm the F down when he, they see you? Like they're jumping up oh and down. Oh that was me oh in the dream. I couldn't contain the joy I felt. I couldn't contain what I felt when I saw him. And he, you know, gave me some messages and he's like, oh, I'm not really dead. You know, all that kind of stuff. And I'll keep most of it private, but that changed everything. And I almost still feel a little guilty because I wasn't, I felt grief until that point, but at the funeral, I was like, I felt so alive. I felt so alive for him because he was alive somewhere else. And I'm like, what? You know, like maybe I'm a little delusional, but everyone was so sad. And granted, of course, you should be, but I just had seen him. So I knew he was fine. And that, I think, kind of was my Saturn return. That so, was the point where everything changed for me. So you were the one laughing and having a cocktail at the funeral this time, unlike when you were a kid and you decided. Well, that there that were was no okay. cocktails, but I was smiling, and I still feel I'm smiling right now talking about this. And it's weird in American culture to say you're smiling when someone dies at 28, but I saw him and I knew he was fine, and he was just radiating this radiance and joy that I have never felt that in waking life what I felt in that dream like that just for me split 
before that dream in my life and after that dream, which was right about a year before my Saturn return, which you would tie in, I think, to my eighth house stuff. Right. And also just that that fourth house, eighth house, um, whole house trine slash Saturn with a really tr- tight trine to your son. And you see that that inner life of the fourth house, that hidden treasures, and you see that trine to the house that has everything um, that deals with everything that has to do with death. And you kind of see some of those themes emerging about you growing up and being really comfortable, um, dealing with that house that where the veil is thin. I mean, I see a ton of context in your chart for growing up and being comfortable, um, with dealing with the other side. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I was definitely taught to be afraid of it. I was so afraid of death for my whole life. I mean, I really, I don't know if death is scary. <laughs> it is. And I don't know if most kids, I don't know what other kids went through. I mean, I'm a Capricorn kid, but it was intense. I was so afraid to die. <laughs> um, I've come a long way since then, for sure. Um, no longer fear it. I, you know, I've been on the spiritual journey now for a long time. And it's still, I wish in our culture, um, we had an easier time talking about it because I think it's important, but people still don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I remember, and we have similarly packed fourth houses. You have even more stuff down there, but it wasn't um, with that Virgo fourth house son. I was even more concerned with everyone else's well-being and less with my own death. Um, like, what am I not doing right now to prevent everyone else from living their best life? That was my oh, that was my anxiety. Yeah, focus on others. So yeah, because you didn't mention my chart is a bowl, and every pretty much everything is in 180 degrees on the side of the chart that is other people. Um, I've always never really the other. Um, I'm sorry. The would be the west side of the chart is other people, and east side of the chart is the self-starting like um, vibration. But I've always made my decisions based on other people. Especially, I guess, (laughs) emphasize with that seventh house moon for me. All right. It sounds like we have uh, have done the full mini reading on your house. We had some fun. Uh, Why don't you wrap us up? Okay. I think we're good. Well, this is Kip and Meredith signing off. We want to thank you for listening tonight. I am going with my continued um, outer space themed beers. I have been drinking Close Encounter Black IPA from Pipeworks Brewing Co., which is in Chicago, which Kip will be at UAC in a few short weeks. And Kip was enjoying um, a modest beer tonight, False Pattern American Pale Ale. We would also like to thank July Fighter Band in Minneapolis for our opening and closing music. Follow them on Facebook for band updates and find them on SoundCloud, Spotify, or any other music streaming service. Please follow us on Twitter at Basement Astro or our Facebook group, The Basement Astrologers. And by the time this launches, you can find us at www.thebasementastrologers.com. We would love to hear from you about future topics. And if you would like to be a guest star on our show, we are not there yet, but soon within the next four to five episodes, I think we will have another mic and you can sit down with us and talk to Kip and Meredith about your favorite astrology topics. So thank you again and good night, Earthlings.